So I'll tell you a little bit about the Triangle Vegetarian Society. We've been here since 1986, and uh, we have usually two events, actually all the time, we have two events per month, sometimes more. One event is a restaurant review, and you can always find out about the latest restaurant review on our website. And I apologize for not bringing the literature which has our website on it, but I think you can probably remember it's Triangle Veg, just V-E-G, society.org. Brian, I Triangle have cards. Triangle Veg, society.org. I have cards if someone Oh, Sangita has business cards, so you can put them up at the table, okay, at the table where the food was located. <coughs> so, um, with our monthly potlucks, we often have times have a speaker, and often it's just a social gathering. So you, anybody is welcome. You don't have to be vegetarian to come. Anybody who has any interest in it whatsoever is most welcome. And it's always a nice gathering with very friendly people. And we have it throughout the triangle, either at different people's homes or maybe like at the um, uh, Quaker's friend's house. Um, <coughs> different places like this, and we often have it in conjunction with other groups, such as the Kadampa Center or the Ethical Culture Society, other groups like that. So we really focus a great deal on social peace and environmental networking. So uh, TriangleVegSociety.org has links to different groups and restaurants, <coughs> etc. Anything you want to find out about vegetarianism, you can start there. <coughs> So, uh, again, she'll be podcasting with this neat little device, and we'll have a little question and answer session afterwards. And, uh, oh, just look on the website for our next potluck. I didn't bother to look, so I don't know where, when, or, when or where. <laughs> um, February 23rd, okay. Pacifica Co-Housing in Carborough. Oh, yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah, Pacifica Co-Housing in Carborough. Um, you can find out about co-housing through a link on our website. So it's a very nice idea, very cooperative idea. Okay, without further ado, <coughs> I'll introduce you to somebody you probably know, Elise Strebel. Thank you all for coming tonight. I really appreciate the turnout, and it was really easy because I didn't do anything but invite you, and you all came. <laughs> uh, one, I don't know if Brian mentioned that uh, to belong to the Triangle Vegetarian Society, you do not have to be a vegetarian, you, but if you're interested in learning more about it or know somebody who is, then it's a really good organization to belong to. But it's really interesting, too. So without any further ado, uh, this is Jim Barnes. And uh, he is uh, an adjunct professor of English, so I uh, thought he might be able to put some grammatical sentences together tonight. He says he's been uh, kind of studying Buddhism on, on and off for about 20 years and been associated with the Kadampa Center for about 10 years. So he's going to talk a little bit about Tibetan Buddhism for those of you who uh, are not Buddhists, and then talk a little bit about the relationship of Buddhism and vegetarianism, and some of you might be surprised. I was asked to speak a few words about what I know about Tibetan Buddhism, and that would only take about two minutes, so I did a little bit of research. Um, I go around to schools and uh, churches who want to know something about Buddhism, and I try my best to present it um, as 
I have come to know it in my own life. I have something I call the cheat sheet because it has the four noble truths, the five precepts, the eight of this, the six of the others, so I can keep up with them. I don't have to worry about that. Um, but they're all important. I'm going to touch on that later. Um, the main thing I also do whenever I come to a group or talk to anybody is uh, my one wish is that I do not misrepresent the Dharma, which is the rules, the law, the way of, of the truth. And so that is what I hope I do not do tonight. Anything else is okay. But, uh, and I think we have, so I have a, an authority in the audience. Uh, I hope will call me on that. There's still some ripe fruit back there, so, uh, you know. Um, the question about, I'm going to kind of jump in to the vegetarian question because when I was doing the, uh, I found some interesting things about it. First of all, um, most, well, let me ask, how many of you, what, how many of you are familiar with Buddhism at all? I need to know that first of all. Okay. Um, one of the most important things, uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama once has said many times, uh, my religion is simple, my religion is kindness. Um, help other sentient beings, help other people. If you can't do that, don't harm them. There are all kinds of tiny little sayings like that that can take you a lifetime and many more, I think, <coughs> to really put into practice in a meaningful way in your life. But as I say, there over the hundreds and thousands of years of Buddhism, there have evolved uh, some practices and rules that um, are very important and hold the belief system together. But essentially, essentially to me, the thing is to treat other people as best that I know how. So that brings in all kinds of nice things we could talk about, like compassion, wisdom, how to know how to be nice at the right time. Uh, it's kind of a it's, it's a chain, really. Once you start, you look at this question and say, oh, okay, well, then you go back to this. And then, okay, well, that's connected to this. I better go over here and think about this for a little while. Um, the whole concept um, of vegetarianism is, to me, is that it is an act of compassion to treat other sentient beings or beings that can can feel, and sometimes can reason perhaps, to treat them as we treat ourselves. In other words, we do not kill ourselves, generally speaking, for food. Therefore, it is not a good idea to kill other beings because they suffer. Uh, they're not here for our benefit. I wish I had brought my, I have a nice little leather-covered Bible that I carry around um, with me sometimes and not tonight but one of the uh, the, the verse in, in uh, Genesis about God doing everything setting up the situation and he mentioned that the animals are created and man has given dominion over them and that's a very interesting uh, concept and little sentence to me because what does dominion mean we could easily say that that means the animals are here to service, right? So we can kill them and eat them. Why not? And we have dominion over them. But dominion can also mean uh, here comes the wisdom thing. 
something like the noblesse oblige. You know, we are given responsibility, and because we can exercise certain things at a level far beyond these beings, then we should take care of them, we should honor them. We should treat them as we should treat ourselves. Um, the point of, I, I wanted to read you a couple of uh, things. I usually don't like to come to a, hear a speaker who says, and now I'm going to read for you, but some of this stuff I couldn't say as well. Um, there was an argument made one time, and I'm throwing this out because I hope you'll discuss it later on. Uh, it's quoted from a book written in 1993, but supposedly a fairly old argument, but it goes, it goes like this. The one who eats meat, A, intends to eat, and B, may or may not intend to eat meat. Meat is, as a matter of fact, what is being eaten. But nowhere in the mental states of our Reverend Gourmand is there an intention to kill. In fact, in the Tibetan tradition, by the monk reciting suitable formulae, which I take to be mantras, over the juicy curry, the goat may actually obtain a more favorable rebirth than would otherwise be the case. Even while eating, thus, even while eating meat, our monk can generate compassion and do good toward a creature which was already dead and dead through no wish of the monk himself. Now, I bring this quotation out because it mentions a couple of things that I think are important to me, why I'm a vegetarian. Um, first of all, the mention of a rebirth. Now, there are two concepts in Buddhism uh, that are important here, um, and this is not exhaustive, but one of them is called the continuity of consciousness. And that is that the consciousness that we possess at an extremely superfine, refined level is beginninglessness. It has no ending, it has no beginning. Therefore, it passes on from lifetime to lifetime. Now, if we consider this to be an infinite event, because if it has no beginning and it has no end, by definition it is, then we have at some time or another been each other's moms, dads, bosses, whatever, you know, the, the whole thing. If you work it, I guess you can't work it out on paper, but you know, it's, it, it's infinite. You know, so you make of it what you will. But the interesting thing is also that we were also other sentient beings. I, I'm not sure about this, but I, I, I imagine most of us worked our way to where we are now <clears throat> as humans because this precious human rebirth is an extremely wonderful state to be in, given the choices. And so we all must have done something very nice in order to get here, in order to be here. So if I'm looking at this life as being just one of an innumerable chain of lives, then I'm going to be more careful the way I act toward other people and toward other sentient beings because my actions, which we call karma, by my actions I determine my future status, how my consciousness will, <coughs> excuse me, how my consciousness will come out in future. The way I'm living now is a reflection of the way I have lived previously. And also, I'm not, just not me, it's everybody. I mean, if you believe as I do. Um, 
as one monk said, if you want to see what your past lives were, look at your life now. If you want to see what your future lives will be, look at your thoughts now. And I think that's that's really, to me, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to contemplate. But we have, see, a lot of people have a hard time accepting that sense of a beginninglessness. Because Buddhism is a tradition without a creator God. There was no thing or no body to start something, to bring something into being. It was already into being and has always been that way according to what the Buddha taught. So if you have a creator God then in a sense you have an ultimate authority. Someone or something who will tell you what to do. Will tell you what is good, what is bad, what is sinful, what is not. Well, pardon. If you don't have that situation then it becomes the responsibility of you, the individual, to determine based on your beliefs and the teachings you choose to follow, in my case those of the Buddha, it's determined you are the determinant of your actions. You're responsible. I'm responsible for everything that I do. Everything. All my thoughts, words, and actions. Excuse me. Are you done? Okay. So, I am responsible for everything that I do. I also think that this is not the only trip I'm going to make. Okay? The, the, uh, we call it the wheel of samsara is the part in the Buddha said that we're in the suffering realm now. The samsaric realm is the wheel constant because we make so many mistakes we're being reborn again we keep trying again and again but if I only think there's one trip on the wheel for me and this is what my religion teaches me and there are religions that, that do this then you know you know this is it you know this is the only time I have this is the only time I'm going to be here so this may not be such an important idea this eating meat it may be way down, you know, I may be having much more important issues in my life or things that I wish to do because I know that when I'm dead, that's going to be it. Or when I'm dead, I'm going to go to a, an eternal reward. Um, details, you know, to be released later. Or an eternal punishment about which we know more for some reason. Um, but those are two systems now for the systems that, that uh, for people who just don't have any uh, particular leanings in these directions at all no, you know the metaphysical concerns of what we might call a theological nature religious nature then it, it's up to you you know because you're it's completely up to you because you've got no system to guide you so you're out there and you make your own choices but what interests me and what attracts me to Buddhism is that it does place a tremendous amount of responsibility on the individual. 
But at the same time, if you think about it, as His Holiness uh, the Dalai Lama has said before, uh, Buddhists stress compassion. Excuse me, I... <clears throat> If I don't hydrate every five or ten minutes, you won't be able to hear me. I know what you're saying. Take it away from it. Um, <laughs> I'll only be a couple of minutes. <clears throat> but he has said that our compassion, in a sense, is a selfish compassion because we are to be compassionate toward all living beings, not all living beings except those who live in China or except those who are Islam or except those who are black or female you know you get the idea everybody all sentient beings well that includes me too so it's a win-win situation if I act with wisdom to help you to bring happiness to your life which is a to help you uh, to cease your suffering to help you minimize your suffering then I benefit too I benefit because it would be more pleasant to be around you and I will have done a good deed if you will want to look at it that way. It makes me feel good because most, uh, all of us want to be happy. I don't think there's anyone in this room who got this morning saying, I hope I can be unhappy today, I really do. Uh, no matter what your condition is, that's one thing all people want is to be happy. That's pretty simple, you would, you would think. And yet it's very hard sometimes to put the happiness of others in front of yourself, in front of your own desires or whatever, completion of what you want to do to get done, but rather put someone else's in front of you. Because it, it's anathema in one sense to our culture. Because the American culture right now is extremely... Uh, me-oriented and it's an acquisitive consumer society where there is little if any focus on the inside the interior of the individual because that cannot be commodified that cannot be packaged and sold so therefore it's of no interest to the people who whoever they are are running things somewhere um, and so that's what makes it a little bit harder say in this culture than it would be in India or Tibet where this the tradition of Buddhism is much more honored because frankly that's what they were born into just as I was born into the Christian tradition when I grew up. Natural. Because my parents were. Simple as that. And I, you know that was it. I thought that was what church was that and nothing else. You mean there are other churches? Well, you know, I didn't even see a Catholic till I was nine years old. At least that I was sure of. I might have, you know, they might have walked by, you know. <laughs> but I, just, I didn't know them, as, you know. So that's, a, you know, that's how it goes. Though. You're born where you're born, and that's your your situation. But when you choose to go a different road, take a different path. In my case, it was Buddhism. It gives you a chance to inventory everything that you really think and feel. And so that brings me back, in a sense, to vegetarianism. <clears throat> uh, I have been a vegetarian for about, somebody asked me earlier, anybody remember what I told you? <laughs> Thank you, five or six years, I'm not good with, with, with time. It's been a good while. Um, 
And it was not, uh, you know, it was not something like a train thought hurtling through the night <laughs> shattered all of my previous illusions. It, just one day I was, I was eating and I looked at what I was eating and for some reason I started thinking backwards from that hamburger, probably, that I was eating. And I can't explain it except to say that I really had a sense of dread when I thought back to the cow that that once had been. And that may sound crazy. That's fine. It's okay with me. But it was, that's what happened. And since then, I've never been able to, you know, uh, eat meat. because it's just, to me, it's just not, there's nothing positive for me. Again, I'm being selfish. There's nothing positive for me because there is pain involved in that. And I don't know um, if any of you, probably you guys know Temple Brandon. Have you ever heard of Temple Brandon? She is, um, I don't know, she's, uh, is she autistic or? Autistic. <clears throat> okay. She's an autistic person who is just an incredible individual. She can communicate with animals incredibly. She knows what they're scared of. She knows what to do around them, how to act around them. I mean, she, somebody wearing a hat 100 feet away, she'll tell the person to take the hat off because this horse is upset because you're wearing a hat. Guy takes the hat off, the horse calms down. It's incredible. She gave a talk over at, um, excuse me, the McKimmon Center. Uh, a couple of years back and uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is that she went into the slaughterhouses and stockyards in Chicago and she's full of compassion she loves animals but she knew that she couldn't stop those animals from being slaughtered they were going to be slaughtered but what she could do was to lessen their suffering in the process and she went through the part where they you know she followed the whole thing where they pull up with the truck or the train from that point to the very point where they actually kill the animal and she said this will scare the animal change this put this here change that and as a result the animals were much more comfortable when they walked this this, what they call the green mile is that what that film was about the when they walk that park. And I think that's an incredibly compassionate thing that she does. She did. She couldn't change that, but she could make a difference in the last few minutes or maybe hours of these animals' lives. That was compassion and also wisdom because a lot of people might be like me and be all compassionate and and weeping and feel sad about it, but I wouldn't have the intelligence to do what she did, you know. So I want to I want to uh, throw it out and ask you some questions, but I want to read a couple more things. Um, there was a, a Buddhist. 1986 it was a conference on (coughs) 
a statement on nature, Buddhism in nature. And <clears throat> it was done by the venerable Lundgren Namyal Rinpoche, abbot of Gyoto Tantric University. And in the Buddhist Declaration of Nature, he was quoting Lord Buddha as saying, because the cause was there, the consequences followed. Because the cause is there, effects will follow. He concludes that these few words show that happiness and suffering do not simply come about by chance. A human undertaking motivated by a healthy, positive attitude constitutes one of the most important causes of happiness. It is, in the final analysis, rooted in genuine unselfishness, unselfish compassion and loving kindness, seeking to bring about light and happiness for all sentient beings. 